Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, July 4th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. And if you go to that website and you click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book, His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. It's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years, almost 19 now, to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done, typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We help people do all of that soon and often primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we'd appreciate if you would do so. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y 
again.org. Or you can give us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, that will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I will then see it, turn on your microphone, and announce you by your area code. And if you choose to do that, we can have a conversation. We can um, help you be of more service to you like I like to say we we greatly appreciate when people do that because it makes it easier for us to be of service that's our intention with this work is to be of service and that's just easier to do if people call and say you know what this is not resonating for me or this is resonating for me or I can we go back and clarify this point or you know, you say this is happening, but I've never had that experience. Any of those kinds of comments, questions, answers, and testimonials are greatly appreciated. And we will try to remember that for people and mention it multiple times in each Internet show. Um we started this process so long ago that they didn't have things like podcasts, or if they did, people weren't calling them podcasts. It was just the Internet show. And um, over the years, it's morphed, and now we have podcasts. And this actual discussion we're having will get converted to mp3 files and posted on the podcast so you can also listen to this wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to it and then whenever you want it's right there on your phone or your tablet or your laptop so today is the fourth of july in uh in the united states of america a lot of people are celebrating this as the day of independence Not everybody in America and not everybody around the world celebrates that. There are people in America that have a lot of mixed feelings about a day like Independence Day. I like to just stay right in the pocket with what we've always talked about, which is living your life from direct observation rather than living it according to a belief system because that gives you far more liberty. That gives you far more ability to live your life in the flow and with flexibility and adaptability than if you try to live your life according to what someone has told you you should think or you should believe in or you should pray to, etc. And in, in alignment with that, today I want to talk about uh, how you can liberate yourself from beliefs and dogma and how useful that is. And to start with that process, I'm going to read from Anthony DeMello's book, Awareness, Conversations with the Masters, is the title of the book. And this section of the book is titled, Good Religion, hyphen, the Antithesis of unawareness. So, he's defining 
good religion as complete awareness, awakeness, living through direct observation each new present moment. And he writes, Somebody came up to me once during a conference and said, What about Our Lady of Fatima? What do you think of her? He says, When I'm asked questions like that, I'm reminded of the story of the time they were taking the statue of Our Lady of Fatima on an airplane to a pilgrimage for worship. And as they were flying over the south of France, the plane began to wobble and to shake, and it looked like it was going to come apart. And the miraculous statue cried out, Our Lady of Lords, pray for us. And all was well. Wasn't it wonderful, one Our Lady helping another Our Lady? There was also a group of a thousand people who went on a pilgrimage to Mexico City to venerate the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And they sat down before the statue in protest because the bishop of the diocese had declared, quote, Our Lady of Lords is the patroness of the, close quotes, is the patroness of our diocese. They were sure that Our Lady of Guadalupe felt this very much. So they were doing the protest in reparation for the offense to Our Lady of uh, Lords, Our Lady of Guadalupe, or the statue, I don't know. But he, he writes, that's the trouble with religion if you don't watch out. The next thing you know, you're caught doing things in a loop that just don't make any sense whatsoever. He says, when I speak to Hindus, I tell them, your priests are not going to be happy to hear this. But God would be much happier, according to Jesus Christ, if you were transformed than if you worshipped. He would be much more pleased by your being loving than by your adoration of him. And when I talk to Muslims, I say, your ayatollah and your mullahs are not going to be happy to hear this, but God is going to be much more pleased by your being transformed into a loving person than by your praying, oh Lord, Lord, Lord. It's infinitely more important that you be waking up. That's spirituality. That's everything. If you have that, you have everything. You have God. You have life. And you have it more abundantly, to quote Yeshua. Then you worship, quote, in spirit and in truth, close quotes. When you become love, in other words, when you move your awareness to the truth that you're made of this stuff we call love, that you are love and that everything else is false. When that happens, you are transformed into love. The danger of what religion can do is very nicely brought out in a story told by Cardinal Martini, the Bishop of Milan. The story has to do with an Italian couple that's getting married. They have an arrangement with the parish priest to have a little reception in the parish courtyard outside the church. But it rained and they couldn't have the reception. So they said to the priest, would it be all right if we had the celebration in the church? 
Now, Father wasn't one bit happy about having a reception in the church, but they said, well, we'll just eat a little cake, sing a little song, drink a little wine, and then go home. So the father was persuaded. But being good, life-loving Italians, they drank a little wine, sang a little song, then drank a little more wine, and then sang some more songs. And within a half an hour, there was a great celebration going on in the church. And everybody was having a great time, lots of fun and frolic. But the father was all tense, pacing up and down in the sacristy, sacristy, all upset about the noise they were making. Sacristy. I said that incorrectly. My, my brain is making me go back and correct it. The sacristy. It's a sacred place. And he was all upset about the noise they were making. So the assistant pastor comes in and says, I see you are quite tense. And the pastor says, of course I'm tense. Listen to all the noise they're making out there in the house of God, for heaven's sake. And the assistant pastor says, well, Father, they really had no place to go. And the priest says, I know that. But do they have to make all that racket? And the assistant pastor says, well, we mustn't forget, must we, Father, that Jesus himself was once present at a wedding? And the pastor says, angrily, I know Jesus Christ was present at a wedding banquet. You don't have to tell me that Jesus Christ was present at a wedding banquet. But they didn't have the blessed sacrament there. The absurdity of how our thoughts get distorted when we live from belief and dogma represented right there. He goes on and says, you know, there are times like that when the Blessed Sacrament becomes more important than Jesus Christ, becomes more important than how you treat the people that you're relating to. And as soon as I say that, I think about how I was raised as a Catholic boy and we had this, this, they had this, this ritual where they said a bunch of prayers over some non-leavened bread, these little wafers, and then they were convinced that this was now the body and blood of Jesus Christ. They had a little wine they prayed over too. That was the blood, and, and then this little wafer was the body of Christ. Now, they had such rigid thinking about this that we were all terrified about any touching or handling of those little unleavened bread wafers. And, God forbid, one of those would be dropped by somebody or someone was careless. If it dropped on the floor, the rage came out of the priests toward the altar boys or the parishioners or anybody who was not willing to go through their ritual of, you know, we have to now stop the whole service and bring out the particular cleaning gear and and prayers have to be said, and, and, and kids, I was one of them, were scared by the violence and the vitriol and the venom that was dripping out of these priests because kids, and I was one of them, didn't know how to live up to their ritual about how you're supposed to treat this little non-leavened bread wafer. That's what 
Anthony DeMello is talking about here. There are times like that when the Blessed Sacrament, your thoughts about it, the rituals that you, your obsessive, compulsive drive to act and speak a certain way becomes more important than the message of the person, Jesus Christ, or the person who is your prime teacher, teaching about love, teaching about forgiveness, teaching about life. When the church becomes more important than life, when your thoughts about God become more important than how you treat your neighbor, and so it goes on and on. That's the danger. To my mind, that is what Jesus was evidently calling us to. First things first. The human being is much more important than the Sabbath. Doing what I tell you, namely becoming what I'm indicating to you, is much more important than calling out, Oh, Lord, Lord. Becoming loving, extending love to yourself and everyone around you is more important than the rituals and the labels. Anthony DeMello goes on and says, but your mula is not going to be happy to hear that, I assure you. Your priests are not going to be happy to hear that, not generally. So that's what we've been talking about, spirituality. It's the same thing as waking up. And as I told you, it is extremely important and if you want to wake up to go in for what I call, quote, self-observation, close quotes. Be aware of what you're saying. Be aware of what you're doing. Be aware of what you're thinking. Be aware of how you're acting. Be aware of where you're coming from and what your motives are. The unaware life is not worth living. The unaware life is a mechanical life. It is not human. It's programmed, conditioned. We might as well be a stone, a block of wood. In the country where I come from, you have hundreds of thousands of people living in little hovels in extreme poverty. These people just manage to survive, working all day long, hard, manual work. They sleep, and then they wake up in the morning, they eat something, and start all over again. And you, over here in the West, you sit back and you think, wow, what a life. Is that all that life holds in store for them? And you judge them. But then you're suddenly jolted back into the realization that 99.99999% of people are not much better here in the U.S., here in the Western world. You can go to the movies, sure, you can drive around in your car, you can go for a cruise, but do you think you're much better off than they are? You're just as dead as they are just as much a machine as they are. You're a slightly bigger one, but a machine nonetheless. That's sad. It's sad to think that people go through life like this. People go through life with fixed ideas. They never change. They're just not aware of what's going on. They might as well be a block of wood or a rock, a talking, walking, thinking machine. That's not human. They are puppets jerked around by all kinds of things. You press a button and you get a reaction. You can almost predict how this person is going to react. 
If I study a person, I can tell you just how he or she is going to react. With my therapy group, sometimes I write on a piece of paper that this person is going to start the session and that person is going to reply. Do you think that's a bad thing? Listen, don't pay attention to people who say to you, forget yourself, go out and in love to others. Don't listen to them. They're all wrong. The worst thing you can do is to forget yourself and then go out to others in this so-called helping attitude. This was brought home to me very forcibly, forcibly many years ago when I did my studies in psychology in Chicago. We had a course in counseling for priests. It was open only to priests who were actually engaged in counseling and who agreed to bring a taped session to class. There must have been about 20 of us. When it was my turn, I brought a cassette with an interview I had had with a young woman. The instructor put it in a recorder and we all began to listen to it. After five minutes, as was his custom, the instructor stopped the tape and asked, any comments? Someone said to me, Tony, why did you ask her that question? And I said, I'm not aware that I asked her a question. As a matter of fact, I'm quite sure I did not ask any questions. And he said, you did. Well, I was quite sure because at that time I was consciously following the method of Carl Rogers. It was called person-oriented, and it's supposed to be non-directive. So you're not supposed to ask questions. You're not supposed to interrupt or give advice. So I was very aware that I mustn't ask questions. Anyway, there was a dispute going between us. So the instructor said, why don't we play the tape again? So we played it again, and there, to my horror, was a whopping big question. As tall as the Empire State Building, a huge question. The interesting thing to me was that I had heard that question at least three times. The first time, presumably, when I asked it. The second time, when I listened to the tape in my room because I wanted to take a good tape to the class. And the third time, when I heard it in the classroom. But it hadn't registered. I wasn't aware. That happens frequently in my therapy sessions or in my spiritual direction. We tape record the interview. And when the client listens to it, he or she says, you know, I didn't really hear what you said during the interview. I only heard what you said when I listened to the tape. More instantly, more interestingly, I didn't hear what I said during the interview. It's shocking to discover that I'm saying things in a therapy session that I'm not aware of. The full import of them only dawns on me later. Do you call that human? Forget yourself and go out to others? That's not wise. Anyhow, after we listened to the whole tape there in Chicago, the instructor said, are there any comments? And one of the priests, a 50-year-old man, to whom I had taken a liking, he said to me, Tony, I'd like to ask you a personal question. Would that be all right? I said, yes, go ahead. If I don't want to answer it, I won't. He said, 
is this woman in the interview pretty? And you know, honest to goodness, I was at a stage of my development or undevelopment where I didn't notice if someone was good-looking or not. It didn't matter to me. She was a sheep of Christ's flock. I was a pastor. I dispensed help. Isn't that great? It's the way we were trained. So I said to him, what's that got to do with it? He said, because you don't like her, do you? And I said, what? It had never struck me that I liked or disliked individuals. Like most people, I had an occasional dislike that would register in consciousness. But my attitude was mostly neutral. I asked, what makes you say that? He said, the tape. So we went through the tape again, and he said, now listen to your voice here. Notice how sweet it has become. You're irritated, aren't you? I was, and I was only becoming aware of it right there. And what I was saying to her, was it non-directive? No. I was saying to her, don't come back, but I wasn't aware of it. My priest friend said, Tony, she's a woman. She will have picked up on this. When you're supposed to meet her next, when is that? And I said, well, next Wednesday. He said, my guess is she won't come back. Well, she didn't. I waited one week, but she didn't come. I waited another week, and she didn't come. Then... I broke one of my cardinal rules. I called her. You're not supposed to be a rescuer in this line of work. I called her and I said to her, remember that tape you allowed me to make for the class? It was a great help because the class pointed out all kinds of things to me. I didn't tell her what. But I said, the things they pointed out would make the session somewhat more effective if you would care to come back. And she said, all right, I'll come back. And she did. Now, my dislike for her was still there. It hadn't gone away. But I was aware of it, so it wasn't getting in the way. What you are aware of, you are in control of. What you are not aware of is in control of you. You are always a slave to what you are not aware of. When you're not aware of it, it controls you. When you become aware of it, you're free from it. It's there, but you're not affected by it. You're not controlled by it. You're not enslaved by it. That's the difference. Awareness, 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 awareness. What they trained us to do in that course was to become participant observers. To put it somewhat graphically, I'd be talking to you, and at the same time, I'd be out there watching you and watching me. When I'm listening to you, it's infinitely more important for me to listen to me than to listen to you. Of course, it's important to listen to you, but it's more important that I listen to me. Otherwise, I won't be hearing you, or I'll be distorting everything you say. I'll be coming at you from my own conditioning. I'll be reacting to you in all kinds of ways from my insecurities, from my need to manipulate you, from my need to succeed, 
from irritations and feelings that I'm not aware of. So it's frightfully important that I listen to me when I'm listening to you. That's what they were training us to do, obtaining awareness. You don't always have to imagine yourself hovering somewhere in the air. Just to get a rough idea of what I'm talking about, imagine a good driver driving a car. He's concentrating on what you're saying. In fact, he may even be having an argument with you. At the same time, he's perfectly aware of the road signals. The moment anything untoward happens, the moment there's any sound or noise or bump, he'll hear it at once. He'll say, are you sure you closed that door back there? How do you do that? He was aware. He was alert. The focus was on his of his attention. The focus of his attention was on the conversation or the argument, but his awareness was much more diffuse. He was taking in all kinds of things. What I'm advocating here is not concentration. It's not spotlight pinpoint concentration. It's like a floodlight. Many meditative techniques have you practicing concentration. I'm leery of that. They involve involve a type of mental-emotional violence, and they frequently involve further programming and conditioning. I would advocate awareness, which is not the same as concentration at all. Concentration is a spotlight. And awareness is like a floodlight. When you're open to anything that comes within the scope of your consciousness, you can be distracted from that. But when you're practicing awareness, you're never distracted. When awareness is turned on, there's never any distraction because you're always aware of whatever happens to be happening. The mystics work to get rid of their sense of I. The child speaks of him or herself in the third person. Sally is hungry. Sally finished her meal. The great mystics work to get back to that level of disidentification with the personal self. The important thing to know is not who I is or what I is. The important thing is to drop the labels. As the Japanese Zen masters say, don't seek the truth, just drop your opinions. Drop your theories, don't seek the truth. It's like we were talking earlier in a couple of interviews I've done recently, it's come up, what would life be like if we abstained from judgment. We just dropped the judgment, dropped the labels. Drop your theories. Drop the labels. Truth isn't something you search for. Drop your opinions. If you drop your labels and your opinions and your judgment, then you start to know more. 
What do I mean by labels? Every, every label you can conceive of, except perhaps that of human being. I'm a human being. Fair enough. That doesn't say very much. But when you say I'm successful, that's crazy. Success is not part of the I. Success is not something that comes and goes. It could be here. Success is something that comes and goes. The I doesn't come and go. Your true nature is solid and stable. When you say, I was a success, you're in error. You were plunged into darkness. You identified yourself with success. The same thing when you said, I'm a failure, or I'm a lawyer, or I'm a businessman. You know what's going to happen to you if you identify yourself with these things? You're going to cling to them, and then you're going to be worried that they may fall apart. And that's where your suffering comes in. That is what I meant earlier when I said to you, if you're suffering, you're asleep. Do you want a sign that you're asleep? Here it is. You're suffering. Suffering is a sign that you're out of touch with the the truth, capital T, truth. Suffering is given to you that you might open your eyes to the truth, that you might understand that there is falsehood somewhere. Just as physical pain is given to you so you'll understand there's a disease or an illness somewhere. Suffering points out that there is a falsehood somewhere. Suffering occurs when you clash with reality. When your illusions clash with reality, when your falsehoods clash with truth, then you have suffering. Otherwise, there is no suffering. He continues and he says, in a section titled, Obstacles to Happiness. What I'm about to say to you will sound a bit pompous, but it's true. What is coming could be the most important minutes in your life. If you could grasp this, you would hit upon the secret of awakening, and you would be happy forever. You would never be unhappy again. Nothing would have the power to hurt you again. I mean it. Nothing. It's like when you throw black paint in the air. The air remains uncontaminated. You never color the air black. No matter what happens to you, you remain uncontaminated. You remain at peace. There are human beings who have attained this, what I call human being or being human. Not this nonsense of being a puppet jerked around this way and that, letting events or other people tell you how to feel. If you want to be a puppet, create your feelings based on other people's thoughts and labels. Press a button and you're down. Press a button and you're up. But if you refuse to identify with any of those labels, most of your worries cease. Later, we'll talk about fear of disease and death. But ordinarily, you're worried about what's going to happen to your career. A small-time businessman, 55 years old, is sipping beer at a bar somewhere, and he's saying, well, look at my classmates. They've really made it. He's being an idiot. What does he mean, they've made it? They've got their names in the newspaper? Do you call that making it? One is president of the corporation. The other has become chief justice. Somebody else has become this or that. They're monkeys, all of them. 
Who determines what it means to be a success? This stupid society has all of these labels. The main preoccupation of society is to keep society sick. And the sooner you realize that, the better. Sick, every one of them. They're loony, they're crazy. You became president of the lunatic asylum and you're proud of it even though it means nothing. Being president of a corporation has nothing to do with being a success in life. Having a lot of money has nothing to do with being a success in life. You're a success in life when you wake up. Then you don't have to apologize to anyone. Then you don't have to explain anything to anyone. And you don't give a darn about what anybody thinks about you or what anybody says about you. You have no worries. You're happy. That's what I call being a success. Having a good job or being famous or having a great reputation has nothing to do with happiness or success. Nothing. It's totally irrelevant. All he's really worried about is what his children will think about him, what the neighbors will think about him, what his wife will think about him. He should have become famous. Our society, our culture, drill that into our heads day and night. People who made it. Made it? Made what? They made asses of themselves because they drained all their energy getting something that was worthless. They're frightened. They're confused. They're, they're terrified they might drop out of fame the next minute. Uh, Billy Joel song, right? And, um, I'm fine as long as I have a record in, in the top ten. But if I, if I don't put another record in the top ten, I'll be forgotten by tomorrow. As soon as Guy Finley talks about how when we identify with things and we go to acquire them and we get that momentary joy, the next minute we have terror, what if we lose it? And we think that or we're happy because we've acquired this or that or because we've achieved this or that or because somebody has a nice opinion of us. And then instantly, in the next moment, we become aware that, uh-oh, what if they change their opinion of us? When these people accomplish all of this stuff, they're frightened and confused. They're like puppets, just like the rest of the world. Look at them strutting across the stage. Look how upset they get if they have a stain on their shirt. You call that a success? Guy Finley has a story where he talks about somebody walking through a room and terrified that they may not look like they have control of themselves. And Guy Finley says, you know, having control of yourself means that you don't have any concern for what other people think about you at that level. Look at how frightened people get at the prospect that they may not be reelected. You call that a success? These people are controlled they're manipulated. These are unhappy people. These are miserable people. They do not enjoy life. They're constantly tense and anxious. Please don't call that being human. And you know why that happens? For one reason only. They identified with some label. They identified the I with their money or their job or their profession. And that is the error. 
Did you hear about the lawyer who was presented with the plumber's bill? He said to the plumber, hey, you're charging me $200 an hour. I don't make that kind of money as a lawyer. The plumber said, I didn't make that kind of money when I was a lawyer either. You could be a plumber or a lawyer or a businessman or a priest, but that does not affect the essential core of your being, the I. It doesn't affect who and what you are. If I change my profession tomorrow, it's just like changing my clothes. The I, the essence of me, is untouched. Are you your clothes? Are you your name? Are you your profession? Please, notice what happens if you stop identifying with them. Those labels, those aspects of you come and go. You, the essence of you, does not change. When you really understand this, no criticism can affect you. No flattery or praise can affect you either. When someone says, you're a great guy, what is he talking about? He's talking about the me. He's not talking about the I. I is neither great or small. The I is neither a success or a failure. The I is none of those labels. Things come and go. Things depend on the criteria that society establishes. These things depend on your conditioning. Things depend on the mood of the person who happens to be talking to you right now. It has nothing to do with your true nature. The I. The I is not the labels. The me is generally selfish, foolish, childish, a great big ass. So when, uh, when you say, you're an ass, I say, yeah, I've known it for years. The conditioned self, what did you expect? I've known it for years. Why do you identify with him, silly? That, that isn't I. That's my thoughts about I. That's the me. Do you want to be happy? Uninterrupted happiness has no cause. True happiness has no cause. You cannot make me happy. You are not my happiness. You say to the awakened person, why are you happy? And the awakened person replies, why not? Happiness is our natural state. Happiness is the natural state of little children to whom the kingdom belongs until they have become polluted and contaminated by the stupidity of society and culture. To acquire happiness, you don't have to do anything because happiness cannot be acquired. Does anybody know why? Because we have it already. How can you acquire what you already have? Then why don't you experience it? Because you've got to drop something. You have to drop illusions. You don't have to add anything in order to be happy. You have to drop something. Life is easy. Life is delightful. Life is hard on your illusions, on your ambitions and your greed and your cravings. But not you. Do you know where these things come from? All of these things, illusions, ambitions, greed, and cravings, they all come from labels and identifying with labels.
His next section is titled, Four Steps to Wisdom. The first thing you need to do is get in touch with negative feelings that you're not even aware of. Lots of people have negative feelings they're not even aware of. Lots of people are depressed, and they're not aware they're depressed. It's only when they make contact with joy that they understand how depressed they were. You can't deal with a cancer that you haven't detected. You can't get rid of boll weevils in your farm if you're not aware of their existence. The first thing you need is awareness of your negative feelings. What negative feelings? Well, gloominess, for instance. You're feeling gloomy and moody. You feel self-hatred or guilt. You feel that life is pointless, that it makes no sense. You've got hurt feelings. You're feeling nervous and tense. Get in touch with those feelings first. That's step number one. The second step in the four-step program is to understand that the feeling is in you, not in reality. That's such a self-evident thing. But do you think people know it? They don't, believe me. They've got PhDs and they're presidents of universities and they haven't understood this. They didn't teach me how to live at school. They taught me everything else. As one man said, I got pretty good I got a pretty good education. It took me years to get over it. That's what spirituality is all about, you know. Unlearning. Unlearning all the rubbish they taught you. Negative feelings are in you, not in reality. So stop trying to change reality. That's crazy. Stop trying to change the other person. We all spend our time and our energy trying to change external circumstances to change our spouses, bosses, friends, enemies, and everybody else. We don't have to change anything. Negative feelings are in you. No person on earth has the power to make you unhappy. There is no event on earth that has the power to disturb you or hurt you. No event, condition, situation, or person. Nobody told you this. They told you the opposite. That's why you're in the mess that you're in right now. That's why you're asleep. They never told you this. But it's self-evident. Let's suppose that the rain washes out a picnic. Who is feeling negative? The rain or you? What's causing the negative feeling? The rain or your reaction? When you bump your knee against a table, that's fine. It's busy being what it was made to be, a table. The pain is in your knee, not in the table. The mystics keep trying to tell us that reality, just the way it is, is all right. Reality is not problematic. Problems exist only within the human mind. We might add, in the stupid, sleeping human mind. Reality itself is not the problem. Take away human beings from this planet and life would go on. Nature would go on in all its loveliness and violence. Where would the problem be? No problem. You created the problem. You are the problem. You identified with the me, the thoughts about yourself, that is the problem. The feeling is in you. The feeling is not in reality. Third step in this process, never identify with that feeling. It has nothing to do with the I, with your core self. Don't define your essential self in terms of that feeling. 
don't say, I am depressed. If you want to say, it is depressed, that's all right. If you want to say, depression is there, that's fine. If you want to say, gloominess is there, that's fine. But not, I am gloomy or I am depressed. When you do that, you're defining yourself in terms of the feeling. That's your illusion and that's your mistake. There is a depression there right now. There are hurt feelings there right now, but let it be. Leave it alone. It will pass. Everything passes. Everything. Your depressions and your thrills have nothing to do with happiness. Those are the swings of the pendulum. If you seek kicks or thrills, get ready for depression. Do you want your drug? Get ready for the hangover. One end of the pendulum swings to the other. This has nothing to do with I, your core, your true nature. It has nothing to do with happiness. The fourth step, how do you change things? How do you change yourselves? There are many things you must understand here, or rather just one thing that can be expressed in many ways. Imagine a patient who goes to a doctor and tells him what he's suffering from. The doctor says, very well, I've understood your symptoms. Do you know what I will do? I will prescribe a medicine for your neighbor. The patient replies, thank you very much, doctor. That makes me feel much better. Isn't that absurd? But that's what we all do. The person who is asleep always thinks he'll feel better if someone else changes. You're suffering because you're asleep. You're suffering because you're thinking how wonderful life would be if someone else would change. How wonderful life would be if my neighbor changed, if my wife changed, if my boss changed. We always want someone else to change so that we will feel good. But has it ever struck you that even if your wife changes or your husband changes, what does that do to you? You're just as vulnerable as before. You're just as idiotic as before. You're just as asleep as before. You are the one who needs to change, who needs to take the medicine. But you keep insisting you are the one. I feel good because the world is right. Wrong. The world is right because I feel good. That's what all the mystics are saying. Choose acceptance. Choose allowance. Choose surrender. Choose to feel good with the way the world is now. When you have awakened, you understand. When you see, this, the world becomes right just the way it is. We're always bothered by the problem of evil. There's a powerful story about a little boy walking along the bank of a river. He sees a crocodile who is trapped in a net. The crocodile says, would you have pity on me and release me? I may look ugly, but it isn't my fault, you know. I was made this way. But whatever my external experience, I have a mother's heart. I came this morning in search of food for my young ones, and then I got caught in this trap. So the boy says, well, if I were to help you out of that trap, you'd grab me and kill me. The crocodile asks, 
do you think that I would do that to my benefactor and my liberator? So the boy is persuaded to take the net off, and the crocodile grabs him. As he's being forced between the jaws of the crocodile, he says, so this is what I get for my good actions. And the crocodile says, well, don't take it personally, son. This is the way the world is. This is the law of life. The boy disputes this. So the crocodile says, do you want to ask someone if it isn't so? The boy sees a bird sitting on a branch and says, bird, is what the crocodile says right? The bird says, the crocodile is right. Look at me. I was coming home one day with food for my fledglings. Imagine my horror to see a snake crawling up the tree, making straight for my nest. I was totally helpless. It kept devouring my young ones, one after the other. I kept screaming and shouting, but it was useless. The crocodile is right. This is the law of life. This is the way the world is. See, says the crocodile. But the boy says, well, let me ask somebody else. So the crocodile says, well, go right ahead. Just then there was an old donkey passing by on the bank of the river. Donkey, says the boy. This is what the crocodile says. Is the crocodile right? The donkey says, the crocodile is quite right. Look at me. I've worked and slaved for my master all my life, and he barely gave me enough to eat. Now that I'm old and useless, he's turned me loose. And here I am, wandering in the jungle, waiting for some wild beast to pounce on me and put an end to my life. The crocodile is right. This is the law of life. That is the way the world is. See? See, says the crocodile. Let's go. The boy says, give me one more chance. One last chance. Let me ask another being. Remember how good I was to you? So the crocodile says, all right, your last chance. The boy sees a rabbit passing by, and he says, Rabbit, is the crocodile right? The rabbit sits on his haunches and says to the crocodile, Did you say that to that boy? The crocodile says, Yes, I did. Wait a minute, says the rabbit. We've got to discuss this. Yes, says the crocodile. But the rabbit says, Well, how can we discuss it when you've got that boy in your mouth? Release him. He's got to take part in the discussion, too. The crocodile says, oh, you're a clever one, you are. But then the moment I release him, he'll run away. The rabbit says, I thought you had more sense than that. If he attempted to run away, one slash of your tail would kill him. Fair enough, says the crocodile. And he released the boy. The moment the boy is released, the rabbit says, run. And the boy runs and escapes. Then the rabbit says to the boy, don't you enjoy crocodile flesh? Wouldn't the people in your village like a good meal? You didn't really release that crocodile. Most of his body is still caught in the net. Why don't you go to the village and bring everybody here and have a banquet? Well, that's exactly what the boy does. He goes to the village and calls all the menfolk. When they come with their axes and staves and spears, they kill the crocodile. The boy's dog comes too. And when the dog sees the rabbit, he gives chase, catches hold of the rabbit and throttles him. The boy comes to the scene too late, and as he watches the rabbit die, he says, the crocodile was right. This is the way the world is. This is the law of life. There is no explanation you can give that would explain away all the suffering and evil and torture and destruction and hunger in the world. You will never explain it. 
You can try very gamely with your formulas, your religious and otherwise formulas and thoughts, but you'll never explain it because life is a mystery, which means your thinking mind cannot make sense out of it. For that, you've got to wake up and then you'll suddenly realize that reality is not problematic. You are the problem. The problems exist when you label them as problems. The scriptures are always hinting at that. And yet, you'll never understand a word of the scriptures until you wake up. Sleeping people read the scriptures and then crucify the Messiah because of them. You have to wake up to make sense of these scriptures. You have to be observing directly for yourself in each new present moment. You have to understand that what you choose as your interpretation and response to life creates your experience of it. Otherwise, there's no freedom, there's no liberty, there's no happiness. That is my presentation for today. On the day of July 4th, where people talk about freedom. Some, some do. Some of those here in the United States are quite aware that we have a long way to go before we have true independence and true liberty and true freedom for everyone. And yet, even though we have a long way to go, it's possible to be happy, to choose happiness. So, choose happiness. That's the invitation. Choose to identify with your true nature as love. Choose joy. Choose being gentle with yourself soon and often. That's the invitation. Today is a Tuesday, and there will be a support group tonight because I've already had several people express interest in doing that. And I have the ability to do it, so I'll do it. And to stick around for the second hour, which yesterday and the day before, Jeannie had told me was going to be live. You can dial in at 563-999-3581. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. Happy Independence Day. I'm going to choose that for myself. I hope you do as well. Blessings and have a great show. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. And today is Tuesday, July the 4th, 2023. And our calling number is 563-999-3581. And we're going to start the show out today where we left off yesterday with Miss Susan. And she's on, but Michael's not with us yet. So I'm just going to turn your microphone on and say, welcome, Susan. Hi, Jeannie. Happy 4th. Thank you. so nice of you. Observe my slot here. Yeah. That what? I didn't know what, what did you just say? I'm here. Oh, I, I couldn't hear what you said. Oh, thank you for reserving this slot. 
<laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> we're we're excited yeah. to continue that conversation since we ran out of time yesterday. And, uh, right. and Michael's dialing in. He'll be right with us. And how, while uh, we're waiting on him to dial in, I'll just ask, how's your sleeping? Well, it's, you know, um, it's not great by whatever I read and hear, but I'm thinking it's my attitude about it that maybe is the, the biggest problem of all. That Yeah. Uh, I do Have make you good tried music. playing some kind of uh, meditative type music before you go to, or right as you're going to sleep. Well, I'll tell you what I am trying, which my doctor suggested, and this isn't new, but I haven't done it until now. She says two hours before you go to bed, don't look at any screens. Well, you know, I've heard that. Kids, <laughs> yeah, they. They they text me, they call, and I realize I can answer a call without looking at my phones as the ringtones tell me who it is. The boys each have their own ringtone. But right. texting, it's a huge temptation to be in dialogue with them uh, right up until I go to bed and after if one of them's in a mess. And that's I think that's one of the problems, not only that I'm on, but that I'm particularly Jacob. He, I've been in close touch with a kid who is so struggling. So right, and then then if you talk to him right before you go to sleep, your mind's going da 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 da. How can I help him? <laughs> I know, I know, and all my fix it mode and all that stuff. The tools help hugely with that. I am able to hear the stuff, release it, ask to be shown, ask that he be shown, do the gentle art of blessing. And I usually go to bed, my anxiety level, knock on wood, has been wonderfully low. And that's the tools. But the fatigue has been, I know, it's great. The fatigue has been a challenge, but I noticed something today, so I'm happy to be on the show today. I dragged myself to the refugee center because we have a summer session going, and I'm in charge of the snacks. And I have one restless underemployed grandson up the street and I said Charlie why don't you and I go in together and he said well I don't need the community service hours I've already earned them and I said okay but come anyway and if you're thinking about your resume you may want to work with these people during the summer because he hasn't got a job it's been too many interruptions other grandparents flying him to Seattle a trip with his parents so it's been very choppy. So he said he'd come, and he dragged himself. And it was such a gorgeous time because one of his old teachers from grade school is a volunteer there, and I had brought in all the food the day before. So we just sailed in and set out the food, and I taught him how to make coffee in this monster machine they have and counting all the people, putting out the stuff, cutting up the apples, And then there was this immigrant refugee woman from the Dominican Republic who didn't know any English. And she was assigned to the kitchen with us because they didn't know what to do with her. She couldn't teach English, but she was supposed to earn community service hours at her high school. So I installed Google Translate and we had conversations. And we learned about her family up here, and her mother's going to have a baby, and 
she seemed to pick up and be happier. And Charles was very engaged. He's good that way. And he came out of there saying, that was such a beautiful experience. I realized these people have been through so much. I have no idea. You know, from Aww, Ukraine, awesome. there was a brand new, Yeah, from Ukraine. And I got home and I thought, wait a minute. I wasn't tired at all the whole time. What gives? <laughs> so I have to figure uh, out why am I You changed your focus. I know. And what am I doing here? And then I said to Tim Bingham, I said, do you think we have a demon in the house? <laughs> and I even asked if the person downstairs might be part of the energy drain. And he said, no, 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 it's not that. We don't know what's going on. And I can report later whether the energy goes again. It's been just up and down, but, you know, I'm smelling a huge rat because I certainly forgot about it today and had plenty of energy. So nice that's catch. the report. <laughs> so, nice catch. Tim Hayes's <laughs> Hi, Michael. Tim Hayes' show hey. just now was absolutely a winner radio show. He he was reading Anthony DeMello and uh, it was all about the world just as it is and accepting it just as it is something toward the end particularly he said we'll never understand why there's so so much suffering so much enmity he said but we we don't have to fuss about it if i'm putting it very poorly but i felt as if a little latch opened up and i could breathe i think i've been just doing the blame game again saying the world is suffering the planet's croaking and uh, my grandsons are struggling and uh, therefore I have to go to bed so and then not sleep so uh, anyway I don't know where to take this but <laughs> inquiry is going on on all fronts okay what that's awesome well my offering would be first of all several things from what you've said but just on the last point I don't think we need to embrace the world as it is I don't, I don't think that's correct. I think what we need okay. to do is embrace what the world brings up in us. Again, we're back to, oh, you see, the world's the problem. So seeing us how the world's the problem, if I can just embrace the world, then everything will be okay. And then earlier, your, your language was, and yeah, if I could just figure this out. Dear heart, yeah. you are never going to figure this out. Mm-hmm. That is the number one pseudo-solution of the non-being mind, if I could just figure this out. And DeMello, when he says embrace what's going on in the world, hasn't figured it out. What needs to be embraced is what comes up in us, what it is that is about pain or depression or sadness or grief that our mind tells us is about what's happening in the world. And therefore, we just need to embrace what's happening in the world. When we come to the point where we've embraced the pain and trauma in ourselves, then like you did at the refugee center, you just function as love. And there's the power supply that your physiology needs. Uh, There's a a great line in The Course of Miracles that says you can't be tired. You can't be tired. But the load of carrying this trauma and this pain that we project onto the world is a load nobody can carry. I mean, it literally is what kills us. Yeah. So what I hear, once again, is you stepped into a healing crisis, 
and you were able to step outside with it. So, so what you know from your experience today at the refugee center is it's clearly not physical. Mm. It's got nothing to do with your physiology. You can stop trying to figure that out. It's okay, expressing good. in your physiology, but clearly it's not caused by your physiology. Otherwise, when you went to the refugee center, your physiology would keep doing what it's doing because it doesn't change because mm-hmm. you go to a different place. It changes yeah. when you come to a different mind, though. Yeah. Well, Michael, what do you say about, remember the title of um, Matt Kahn's book, Whatever Arises, Love That. Big so mistake. This is that what's in, Terrible mistake. What? <laughs> Terrible talk. mistake. Well, you if know. If I said whatever wait, arises, remember, allow that. <clears throat> I think that's a whole lot closer. Whatever arises, whatever arises, choose to be the presence of love with it. Not love it. Again, we're back to projection. Oh, see, the world's a problem. All I have to do is love the world. You can't love the world. You can't love anybody. You either function as love, like you did at the refugee center. Notice the difference between the day before when you were all exhausted and such, what you were functioning as, and what you were functioning as at the at the uh, refugee center. One day you were functioning as, I don't know what, but it wasn't love. And the next day, here you are at the refugee center with the young men that you want to inspire, and love is present the whole time, and you don't have one iota of tiredness. Yeah. Michael, what did you say? Whatever arises, blank. Wasn't allowed. Be the presence of love with it. Be the presence of love with it. And and so whatever happens in the world, ultimately, if I'm functioning as love, I'll just embrace it. I'll just extend the hem of my garment, the presence of my love, to it. The only thing that inhibits me from extending the, the presence of love, the hem of my garment, to Whatever atrocities are happening in the world is that I have a matching atrocity inside of me that's in my genes, that's in my generations, that's in my physiology and my experience, and I haven't embraced and forgiven it yet. And I'll keep trying to figure it out, keep trying to figure it out, and I'll pound my head against the wall forever trying to figure it out. But you don't have to figure it out. You already know. Am I functioning as love? Or am I not? And And the mind has a billion ways to turn it around and make it look like it's the world. So embrace what comes up in me. And, you know, you, you gave us a few clues yesterday about what was going on. And if we go back to the point where you were functioning in a pretty balanced way, you had energy, you were rocking, can you pinpoint when the shift took place that left you with this exhaustion? Is it two days ago, two weeks ago, two months ago? About two months ago. I'll have to think about that. Nothing comes to mind. But, but you know, okay, pin, pinpoint the, 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 the time and space where this exhaustion moved in. Okay. Do you have a pretty good idea of it? Not at the moment, no. Okay. Well, let's breathe a little bit and see if we can find it. 
<laughs> I mean, did you okay. call the doctor? Did you sit in tears? What, what was happening the day that this new level of exhaustion showed up? I don't remember anything dramatic. I certainly haven't been crying about it or anything. I'm not suggesting anything dramatic. I'm just asking you to establish in your mind when this level of exhaustion showed up. And the reason I'm, I'm saying that is it's important to be able to look at. So my next question would be, let's say you determine it was, well, two weeks ago Thursday. So look at your calendar from two weeks ago Wednesday and what was going on. Oh, that was when I got back from the wedding and the kids were doing well and everybody's rocking. And, man, I was just, like, flying high. My daughter got married and my, you know, my grandson that I expected all kinds of problems with was just there and delightful and got some healing and, and saw what it was like to be embraced by his family. And Is that what was going on? Because everything you know, you're telling me, again, if this was a physical disease, yeah. you'd have been as exhausted mm-hmm. at, the, at the refugee center as you were the day before. But it's not a physical yeah. disease and it's not a physical problem. But my suspicion would be, if you looked at just before, if you can pinpoint when this happened, just before, you hit a whole new level of vitality. And when you hit a whole, when you hit a whole new level of vitality, what happens? You know, there's a danger in each new depth of the experience of the presence of love. You know, pained perception, exhaustion being one of them, comes from pained content. There's no other source of it. It isn't sourced in your physiology. It's expressed in your physiology, but it isn't sourced in your physiology. So the the solution lies not in embracing the world, but noticing what the world brings up in you and awakening to the work that you need to do as a result of this powerful new opening experience. Mm. Well, I don't think I can tell you anything, but I, I, it was around the time that I got COVID, although the COVID itself was like a cold. It was just so minor that I almost didn't take a test. And then I took right. it and it was so Im- immediately positive. But, and so I'm going through my calendar, even as you're talking, I'm just poking the days. I've made it through November, but I don't want to take the radio show time for that. But I will certainly have a look to see if anything pops out. You know, because I can think of this is and that, but usually these are just the things that are have been on my mind for years, like Jacob and his struggles and... Um, Various things happening in the family, which I would be blaming, except I know better and I can really let them go. I'll be on the phone with Jacob right before bed and then I'll go to bed and I'll fall right to sleep. Then I wake up in the middle of the night, but I don't think that's doing it. It's something else. So, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, and this is just my intuitive hit and it may be totally out left field, that the the new level of aliveness that you experienced, the excitement of watching Jacob interact with his mom after all that trauma and the 
the possibility and the presence of the healing that happened gave you a, a new peak experience and each new level of vitality each peak experience results in a healing crisis results in okay so now the next layer needs to come up and and that requires a new level of commitment to do your work because the danger the deep slippery trap that comes with each new mountaintop experience is that I slide back into the abyss and forget about it and sometimes people slide back into the abyss of their own perceptual minds after having done their work and they get lost there for decades mm. because the next layer that comes up holds so much that they don't want to face and of course every time everyone who experiences that deep presence of love and you know you described how the wedding went it seemed like you personally not the external but what happened for you personally was a new presence of being in your physiology and of course when we have that everybody wants to have that those moments to last forever but few because the blocks to maintaining it are so painful to face few will ever achieve the goal of of working mm. through those things of living mm. in that space of continuous connected active present love and uh, you might sit down and write yourself an essay about everything that was let me think of the word everything that was sweet and awesome about the experience at the refugee center with your nephew or your grandson write it all out I mean every sensation everything and and tap into the actuality of it and this experience you just had may may contribute to taking still another step deeper into the energetic patterns from genetic or early life traumas that have to be faced processed through and and literally removed from your structure And here's life just fulfilling its purpose we don't need to embrace it it's going to kick us right square in the limitation no matter what we do I mean it, it, it's brilliant it's genius when you think about the fact that this whole energy system is structured so that if we're holding anything that's killing us life's going to come and show it to us it's going to kick us right there and what the non-being mind will do is it'll make up a construct about yep well there it is see it's what's happening in the world again there goes the world again doing it to me again as opposed to yeah. oh here I am with this coming up in me that I don't want to embrace that I don't want to face that I don't want to deal with mm-hmm. and you know you know that it's yours because you're the one that's feeling it and that that game of denial blame and victimhood that one world religion I mean every one of us by the age of four you and me included were card-carrying members of that religion by the time we were four it's been an old habit and it's not an easy habit to break to move out of the blame game which means victimhood and come back to ownership that's what needs to be embraced not the world 
and the world's custom designed by the Creator at every instant to show us the next layer and the next layer and the next layer. Once you renounce that religion of blame, ownership of what's coming up, conversation about others comes to an end and it becomes ownership of what's surfacing. And then the next level of the removal process begins. And of course that removal process is forgiveness. And everything unlike the new desired state must be uprooted, faced, and forgiven. And, you know, there's no choice about what will begin to surface. A new level of ideality automatically kicks the process off. And that's what I'm asking you to see if you can pinpoint, which would be just like, you know, oftentimes it's just the night before. You know, you go to bed higher than a kite. Man, this is just awesome. I love life. And then in the morning it's like, did anybody get the number of that damn Mack truck that went through my room during the night because I'm lower than a snake's belly? I know. Golak says that in his article. He says, watch out. You you go high and have a great time, whether on LSD or not, he adds. But you're in for it. Watch out. It's going to take a nosedive. The creator? Well, it isn't really going to take a nosedive. It's just going to show you what you've been holding on. Holding on to. Mm -hmm. The new level of vitality creates the opening that allows whatever needs to be resonated to be resonated. And each new peak experience opens the next healing crisis, the next level of work. And Yeah, would I ever like to have those sensations permanently? Mm. So again, everything that is unlike the new desired states got to be uprooted. And, again, I, I, I'm, I'm so delighted that you came on to share with what, happen, what happened with the visit to the, uh, the refugee center with your grandson, because now you know without a shadow of a doubt that there's nothing physical about it. Yeah, where did this vitality come from? Charlie asked me an interesting question on the way home. He's very good socially, but he says it takes an effort because he says, I'm an introvert and I've got OCD, and he does, driving his father nuts. That's another whole story. But on the way home, he said, don't you get exhausted being, being so engaged with the people who are there? And how do you do it? And I said, it comes very naturally. I feel as if they draw out a tremendous amount of energy from me. And he said, how does that happen? And I said, well, I think for me, I don't know any of them, except I know they've been through a lot. And we've been instructed not to say much or ask them too many questions. It's so traumatic for them to go there. We're yeah, supposed to be yeah. in the moment and, and enjoy their company and teach them a few words maybe or feed them or whatever we do. They're all like children in a way. And I said, well, my garbage has no, nothing to resonate with. There's nobody out there right. who's going to trigger any garbage. And I'm not triggering any of their garbage. They're so glad to right. be here. They feel safer. And I said, yep. it's so simple um, that we get to see each other as children, really. We get to play is what it turns out to be. And they, they don't have words, and so they'll, 
they'll throw the banana peel in the trash instead of the compost and I'll dig it out and we smile at each other and I show them where and there's no there's just a sense of tremendous appreciation of each other and these big guys you know will come in from Sudan who are like giants some of them one of them particular and he says thank you you know it's so simple and we get to have two hours or two and a half hours of simple. And I say, I feel so enlivened by that. My garbage is gone somewhere else to sit. It's not around, and theirs isn't either. It's like taking a huge right. break from junk. So you talk about matching bags of garbage. We're not aware of each other's garbage at all. There, there's such a time. different resonance. Yeah. 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 They're so appreciative. So, yeah. You know, so notice one of the bags of garbage that your grandson has bought into. Yeah. Is that he drives his father nuts. I know. He doesn't drive his father nuts. His father is nuts. And his son yeah, brings it up. True. Remember our conversation about children? Children like having your unconscious mind out in true living color and Dolby Sun. Everything you've never dealt with, they're going to bring up. And he's doing mm-hmm. that for his dad. It's what his dad needs yeah. to heal. And when they can get on a healing path and, you know, when you can explain to him, you know, maybe just that simple principle, and then how can you go to the refugee center and be the presence of love? Because when you have the presence of love flowing through your structure, instead of doing this garbage stuff we do with each other, then you're enlivened by that interaction. You're enlivened yeah. by every scintilla of energy that has to flow through you to support those people. Mm. And we're killed by that energy being withheld when mm. we hold things that we've refused to forgive in ourselves. It's exhausting. So what's the next layer you need to embrace in yourself? You know, and, and most often when these toxic energies start to move, most people, it's so deeply hidden, they're like, when it opens, it's like, oh, I had no idea I was carrying that around in me. Yeah. So... Mm. The, you know, to be concise, a new level of vitality arouses because of the empowerment needed to get there, a new depth of unresolved dynamics in the mind and body that are loosed in the process. And, and since vitality moves everything that would inhibit it, the toxic load can no longer be kept in hiding. And that's what we tend to want to go and shut down. I don't want to deal with that. So the yeah, I can feel dynamics... That. Yeah. The unconscious dynamics, sooner or later, when they're activated, they're going to work their way into awareness. And sadly, it's not in a true and honest form. It's in the form of projection. Oh, yeah, look at what the world did to me now, but it's okay. I'll embrace the world. No, don't embrace the world. Embrace what comes up in you. Don't love the world. Be love in the presence of what the world delivers to you. And you heal. Mm. Well... Uh, without going into any details, I can. I got to make a list because the snakes are coming out of the pit. 
My lovely That's exactly what has to happen. Is that is wonderful. I'm excited for you. Because Thank on you, the Michael. other side of it is a whole other layer of aliveness and joy. And on the other end, a side of it all is eternal life, literal, physical, uh, eternal life. Because these are the things that kill us. Remember the scriptures that talked about, with man, death began. We made it up. The pursuit of this work is to be in the state of willingness to face everything in each of us that has killed every member of our family system before that went before us. Mm-hmm. The willingness to embrace Why? all of that. Okay, one thing I would love to ask you about, because it's very strong. We have this person living with us who seems, if I were to draw a, an emotional picture of him, I would draw a picture of a man with no clothes on, totally exposed, vulnerable, yeah. passive, helpless, and somehow what comes up in me is I want to strangle him for being vulnerable. And I know mm. this is just a huge amount of garbage. Um, and one reason we're going on is because I feel as if he's a walking life lesson. And selfishly, I think it's not time for him to leave. <laughs> it would be too easy yeah. to have him leave. So, so, so what do you suppose happens to your physiology when there is so much rage moving that you can use the words, I want to strangle him. Oh, what do you yeah. suppose that I mean, when it's moving in you does in your physiology? Not very good things. Not good things. And notice you could leave the house for a few hours and be in the total presence of love and joy and physical mm -hmm. vitality. Mm. So maybe there's one of your clues right there. Yeah. There's an element there, too, of, you know, he's trying to be invisible. He doesn't want to be invited to leave. He wants to stay as long as he can, and he will stay sure. as long as we allow. And that, to me, Understood. I think of as, yeah, a kind of dishonesty. And so I'm angry about the dishonesty. We don't have. So you're angry about something outside. You're angry about something outside of you. No, I'm angry. It, really? What a, oh, what that's is interesting. Me? No, shut up, Michael. I'm saying something. I'm saying that. <laughs> I heard I you think, loud and clear. <laughs> you didn't hear the rest. I'm angry I'm about that. His vulnerability. That's in me. No, that's mm -hmm. me. It's mm -hmm. got to be my stuff. I'm getting what you're saying. You, you need to go back and listen to this recording again. <laughs> you need to go back and listen again and listen to your words. Well, I'm telling you what the outer impulse is, and then I'm saying, this is mine. Yeah. How am I dishonest? Yeah. How am I sneaky? How am I an opportunist? How have I taken advantage of others? 
I am asking so, myself those questions. You're not being nice to me, Michael. I'm trying to do yeah. what you've been teaching. So do you remember what it felt like when your power person said all those things to you and about you? I don't remember my power person ever saying I was dishonest or sneaky. I don't remember. Yeah. I remember being, you know, too loud and fighting with my sister and causing a ruckus, and we got switched for that, but I don't remember being accused of those things. So remember the life lesson that Shakespeare gave us. He said, my words fly up, my thoughts remain below. I remember that, yeah. So as you re-listen to this section of the recording, just mark down and make note of your words. And there's a reason why you don't remember it. It's called the unconscious. Okay. And it's too much I'm to handle. You, I'm not going to want to listen to this, but I will. Good. Good. I know you're committed enough to do it. Nobody, when you come face to face with the core of what you need to deal with, nobody wants to be with that. Much as we clamor and go, yay, 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 I want to look at that. And there's a reason why these kinds of dynamics go on generation after generation after generation. And the family system produces a, a round of offspring that are all addicted to something. Because somebody isn't dealing with something and it's getting passed on. So instead of figuring it out, that's when it's time to just be there and embrace what's coming up in the breath and the presence of love and let yourself be with it. Michael? Yes, where do you go? Um, I just was looking up for the notes and everything. Can I read the whole paragraph that you were talking about in the Course in Miracles about being tired? Yes, and please. There might be more You're to, so on. to You're add. You're so on it. Uh, <laughs> so it's, a chap- it's chapter three, and it's called The Innocent Perception. When you feel tired, it is because you have judged yourself as capable of being tired. When you laugh at someone, it's because you have judged him as unworthy. When you laugh at yourself, you must laugh at others, if only because you cannot tolerate the idea of being more unworthy than they are. All this makes you feel tired because it is essentially disheartening. 
you are not really capable of being tired, but you are very capable of wearying yourself, wearying yourself. The strain of constant judgment is virtually intolerable. It is curious that an ability so debilitating could be so deeply cherished. Yet, if you wish to be the author of reality, you will insist on holding on to judgment. You will also regard judgment with fear, believing that it will someday be used against you. This belief can exist only to the extent that you believe in the efficacy of judgment as a weapon of defense for your own authority. Jeannie, would you back up about three sentences and do them again? Sure. Um, So you are not really capable of being tired, but you are very capable of wearying yourself. The strain of constant judgment is virtually intolerable. It is curious that an ability so debilitating would be so deeply cherished. Yet, if you wish to be the author of reality, you will insist on holding on to judgment. You will also regard judgment with fear, believing that it will someday be used against you. This belief can exist only to the extent that you believe in the efficacy of judgment as a weapon of defense for your own authority. God, that's fabulous. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. So I don't know if perhaps the judgment towards your house guest is somehow resonating also in judgment towards yourself and therefore creating the wearying of yourself. How about reading the last sentence of what you just read again, Jeannie? Um, The The last last sentence sentence Yeah. Um, the last sentence is this belief can exist only to the extent that you believe in the efficacy of judgment as a weapon of defense for your own authority. Totally right. Breathe on that one. Breathe on that one. And what's the alternative? Vulnerability. Defenselessness came to mind. Yeah. Yeah. And notice the thing you pegged your greatest desire to strangle somebody is this man in his vulnerability. Absolutely. It's really amazing. So it opens up a space in me where I want to cry. does seem totally shocking that I would feel hatred toward a person who is vulnerable. That vulnerable. Nowhere to turn, really. And no resources within themselves to find a place to turn to. Not very attractive. So do you see the goals you need to work with on your next series of worksheets? 
some of them. You go I don't for Michael. I see them all. You go for Michael. Oh, yeah. You go for yourself. Well, you know, I would start with the goal for Michael to be strong. The goal for Michael to have resources. Goal for Michael to be self-responsible. And then once you've done those worksheets around Michael, then do those same goals around yourself. And maybe there'll yeah. be someone else that will come up that those same goals will apply to. It might be mom, it might be dad, it might be big sister, it might be Tim. Mm. It might be your son. It might be your grandsons. You know, if you look at Jacob, I think Jacob could be a good corollary to Michael. Only Jacob's taking right. the path of fighting, fighting and raging. Yeah, and he also says, there's no way I can support myself when I get out of school. And you guys are stingy because you're not going to support me and you're going to make me homeless. And Catherine, my daughter, has said, Mom, do not mention the man who lives in your basement as a person who is in any way like Jacob. I don't want him to model himself or have you thinking about that. And, of course, I already am. And so is Mom. Yeah. He keeps sending me videos of young people saying, do you know that it costs costs so much to rent, and meanwhile the minimum wage is as low as it was in 1956 or whatever it was. There's no way. And Jacob says, why should I spend 100 hours a week making hamburgers and not being able to do what I love to do in order to have a roof over my head that's barely going to cover. And I say, I hear you. It is an awful definitely problem. Let's work on it. What? We definitely need to reorder society, don't we? Oh, we sure do. I mean, when we you sure think in kids. today's age, we still mm-hmm. have at least two states where the minimum wage is $5.15 an hour. And we have another 20 states, almost all of them belonging to one party, including the two that are 5.15 an hour, that are 7.25 an hour. Yeah, that's it. And I say I wake up and reorder the society. I know. So his mom and I, I know I'm getting off the track, but his mom and I talk about, you know, not being codependent, not rescuing him. And I'm saying, how do we draw any line like that now? When that kid comes out of school, is there no way I'm going to let him be homeless? I just won't. And she says, Mom, you have to work with me. And I said, I'm working with you. And I'm saying, Cassis, really picture it. What are you going to do if he has nowhere to go? And she said, well, I'm as weak as you are, Mom. I'm going to let him come here and live in our garage. It's a big, nice garage, and he can make it into a studio and he could do his music and get a little job, and that's. Uh, but I'm not telling him that. And I'm thinking maybe we should. Maybe we should. He's suffering from such anxiety about his future. Why not yeah. say, hey, no, you know, no. if you can he's do not, it on your what? Wait a minute, wait a minute, Grandma. He's not suffering from anxiety about his future. He's suffering from the unresolved family anxiety. It's not about his future. It's not about the outside. The principle is the same for him. Well, 
and I and mom is suffering that, but... from the anxiety yeah. that she carries, and grandma's suffering from the anxiety that she carries. And as the family system mm-hmm. starts to face that anxiety and diffuse it, then everybody's going to be freed of it in the family system. I don't know how to get from there to the practical situation of Jacob graduating from school and having nothing and nowhere to go. I realize the anxiety is in us, but you said yourself the whole system is a wreck. Oh, it is. It's a product of what we've created, yes. And it, and the reordering of it starts with each individual doing their work until we reach critical mass and making for a shift. In the meantime, I would like to reassure Jacob that he'll be okay. And I've said this much without being specific. I say, Jacob, we will work with you if you'll work with us. And I don't even know what that looks like, but don't fight us. Join us. Let's be together on this. And he'll breathe and say, okay, but then he gets his dukes up again. Well, that's the next layer of his work. Once again, it might be appropriate to to point out that he does really well until something violates a goal that he holds. Yeah. And if he can understand that and begin to cancel, recognize, if I hold this goal, I go into anxiety, and I can cancel this goal and diffuse my anxiety. Yeah. And a whole new creativity opens. I mean, I've watched that young man. I mean, I don't know what age he was, 14, and he's creating awesome music videos at 14. His capability Mm -hmm. is uh, awesome. And that's what he should be doing, and that's what he would do. Yeah. And the thing that inhibits him is that unresolved anxiety. Mm Mm-hmm. And he projects it into whatever, flipping hamburgers, wherever it is, but he's got to come back to the point sooner or later, just like Grandma comes back to the point of recognizing it's when I load a goal in my mind that all this surfaces, and it's mine, and I need to work through it. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. He's not going to use the tools the way I would recommend. He'll understand about the goal thing, but then he'll fight and say, but I have to be not on the street in a year and a half. Um, right. So so, so what do you think is going to put you on the street? What do you think is going to put you on the street? Having anxiety or not? Where, where do you have the best chance of being somewhere other than on the street? So make part yeah. of your process the resolving of that anxiety. Mm-hmm. Remember, Job gave us a lesson, that which I feared most has come upon me. You're a creator, oh, son. Yeah. You can go create it. You can create yourself being on the street and being in all that drama. Or you can face it and start to diffuse it. In fact, I might even be able to come up with a couple of investors that might even invest in a studio to help you get your music rocking. But mm-hmm. you're going to have to play a part. You're not going to have to keep pushing it away and kicking everybody that wants to be there to support you because you have rage and anxiety in you. Sooner or later, you've mm. got to grow up and become put on your big boy pants and recognize <laughs> yeah. this is yours, Jacob. Just like I, Orb, am recognizing that what's mine is mine. 
And mm-hmm. mom's going to have to at some point recognize that what's hers is hers. Hers or cooperatively will all create the exact opposite of what it is that our goals are about because what's resonating us when we put those goals in is the exact opposite, the generational patterns yeah. of failure and pain and trauma. Mm-hmm. And yes, he has a genetic heritage of rage and abuse right. that's going to have to be faced and dealt with. It's not easy to bring cooperation and support into a world that you're continuously beating up on. And sooner or later, right. he's got to get that he's continuously beating up on it. However, he gets that lesson. Okay. Elsewise, as he continuously beats up on it, it's going to beat up on him. Yeah. With man, death began. And that's what ultimately destroys us. So the number one piece of work for you is to take these next layers, process through mm-hmm. and be the space, hold the space, have the conversation for what needs to work out next. You know, you've got one of them through the gate pretty effectively. Took some time, but the gate's open, wider than it was ever Mm. open. Yeah. You know, the gate was totally, completely blocked and shut down for Luke. Yeah. But he's on the other side of it now. Working hard to stay there, too. He told me he goes to an AA meeting every day. First thing in the morning, he goes for a run or goes to the gym. And I said, do you need to do that on this particular day that's so busy? And he said, I have to. And I said, why? And he said, because it's his process. I need, I need to take the edge off my anxiety and my depression, which is very much there. Uh, taking a drink would help a lot in the moment, but I'm not going to do that anymore. So I'm feeling it all. I'm feeling it all. And he says, I'm really yep. working the program and staying above water. But it's hard work. And I yep. said, amen, I yep. know it. It is. Yeah, I have a friend who's in AA, and I was just talking to him the other day. We were doing some processing. and His question was that he had asked his sponsor, how long do I have to come to these damned AA meetings? Yeah, and the sponsor right. said, and the sponsor said, until you want to. Oh my God, that's a fabulous answer. Until you want to, and that's to. what it takes. Yeah, until that part of you that is kicking and screaming, traumatized mm-hmm. from generations and generations and generations of unresolved trauma. I mean, who do you, who can you think of in your bloodline? from the point where you entered the world, who can you point to that could have even have started to have this conversation with you? Yeah, that's true. Nobody. So you're the early Nobody. adopter. You're opening this for the whole family system. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. And you got one alcoholic young man through the gate committed to his work 
even when you invite him to do it the easy way. Oh, well, we'll we won't mm. do the program today. We'll just he knows better. He's got it. He's got it. Yeah. Nice work. Well. <laughs> hmm. I've got to stay vital. I want to live 10 more years to make sure they're all through the gate. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, yeah. I support you going well beyond the 10. Mm. I'd invite you to consider how in 2022 we'll 20, you are just <laughs> rocking and alive and embracing these young ones that just don't have a clue and lifting them up. Lifting them up mm. with your vitality and your aliveness. Mm. Well, that's been my purpose. Purpose went from being a successful composer to to this is doing opening the gate for the boys or now, anybody else. Now, yeah. Now you're doing your real purpose. You know, is that story, I'm sure you remember me telling it before. I told it several times on the radio show, but Ram Dass tells it about the guy who was a Wall Street banker, and he ran into Ram Dass and started to do drugs and do his thing and quit the bank, and he was a vice president of commercial loans. And, you know, 10 years, he's a hippie. His hair's down to his butt, and he's in Manhattan, and he meets the, the, the uh, president of the bank on the street. They just happen to run into each other. The president of the bank says, would you consider coming back? This is after a 10-year absence. And the guy said, yes. And he said, when I went back, I went back in the guise of the vice president of commercial loans because the manager said I was the best vice president of commercial loans there ever was. But what I went back to really do was to teach people who never otherwise be touched by love that they can be. That's great. That's a great story. And you can do it. It anywhere. is. I mean, it's, and you can do it anywhere. And and the guise of anything or nothing, yep. you can do it. Yep. You can do it in the guise of someone volunteering at the the refugee center. You can well, do it in the guise of a concerned cool. grandmother at a wedding. Yeah. Yeah. And we we have seen nothing compared to what those folks have been through. Nothing. True. Totally true. But that doesn't mean that our ancestors haven't seen it and lived it, and it lives in us until we face it and move through it. Because when you're the early adopter, you're dealing literally in your genes with everything that every person in that refugee center has had done to them. Your family, my family, all of our family systems have been there. Mm. Wow. Well, you That's like Francis Fenelon's quote. Yeah. Say again? I was going to tell you a little story about what something that happened today in the refugee center. Please do. An Arabic speaking mother in full regalia with her hijab and everything came in with a 
12-year-old daughter who was in total panic and clung to her mother. And we have a musician, a guitar player in there, a young woman who taught at my grandson's school. Not young, actually. She came out anyway, and she started regaling the girl right into right while the, she was clinging to her mother. She went outside the children's center part of it. Started singing to her and showing her how to strum the strings, and the girl reached over and started strumming the strings, and gradually they eased the girl into the kids' section, and the kids sat there learning how to play a ukulele. I just thought that was just gorgeous, and the mother came out with hmm. the camera and was taking pictures. Like, the this was such an amazing thing for them. Yeah. In the guise of a music teacher. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Pretty awesome that a mother who had to escape her country because of the atrocities of the insanity in the world, but is still able to do that for her daughter. Mm-hmm. Wow. Amazing. There's so many creative ways to fulfill our purpose. Mm. That's true. And it makes life much simpler to have that as a purpose. You can let go of all the other stuff. Yeah. Remember the line in the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? To a complex mind, truth is complex. To a simplified Mm. mind, truth is simple. Yeah. All we have to do is face what's in us and finish with it. So awesome piece of work, young lady. In process. I wrote down what you suggested for wake-up sheets. Those are good. So thanks. It'll be interesting to hear the upshot of doing the round with each of attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yesterday Tim was having an issue and I said, how about we do one of the wake-up sheets? And he said, I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> cool. Talk about denial and avoidance. <laughs> Tomorrow, tomorrow, I'll do my work tomorrow. Yeah, and and right. I'm really delighted to hear that Luke is smart enough not to put off to tomorrow what he knows he needs to do today to keep his program up. That's courage. Yeah, he's that's doing smart. It. And he's yeah. got to have a good sponsor. He's got a good sponsor. That's awesome. I guess he does. You know what he and his brother did? I know we're going to get cut off. Max and he drove all the way from Jacksonville to Asbury Park, New Jersey, to go to a band concert last night. And they do the kind of music that those two brothers are doing. And they're going to another one tonight. And they were going to drive all the way here afterwards, two hours. We said, we're putting you up in a hotel. You're going to go to bed right after the concert. You're going to sleep in. You're going to eat and then go back to the concert. And... We did a Zoom visit. I said, you can Zoom with us. We'll visit oh, that nice. way. Had... <laughs> so well, that's awesome. The boys are... Isn't that the cutest thing? 
They're very good friends, the youngest and the the oldest. And the middle one is mad because he's not invited to any of that stuff yet. But anyway, thanks for listening to my little family sagas. Boy, it never gets dull. Well, all right. you know, we're all in this together. And the gift you give with the search that you're doing and the work that you're doing is a gift to everybody in the community that listens. And who knows, as the Course says, the millions yet unborn that will be touched by it. So thank you. Amen. That would be nice. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Jeannie. All right, young lady. You have a blessed one. Lots of love. We appreciate you a lot. Okay. Bye-bye.